would you like to turn with me in your Bible to page 1147, I think it is. And uh, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the first eight verses. I think we're in for a scolding today, a bit of a rebuke here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Amen. Good morning. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's Ed Neal. I'm the uh, pastor here at Grosvenor. Um, would love to meet you afterwards if you're new or visiting. Do come and say hi. Um, we are coming back to 1 Corinthians. I don't know if you remember, we were in this uh, before Christmas. It's been a while, but we are coming back uh, and picking up where we were. So we're starting back in the beginning of chapter 6 this morning. I'm going to pray. Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to say, just church weekend away. Um, uh, we are looking at getting day passes. I know some of you would still love to come or maybe drop in for the day. We are trying to look at that being a possibility, so keep your ears and eyes open for that. Let me ask for God's help that we might hear what he's saying to us this morning. Lord, I need you. How I need you. Our Father God, we do come before you this morning. We confess that we are small and weak and cannot see what we need to see. We confess that at times we fail and we struggle and we sin and we need you. We need your grace. We need your encouragement and we need your direction. And as we come to this challenging passage this morning, we pray you would give us hearts that are warm to your words, that want to bow the knee to you rightly and put our trust in the one who we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Miriam and I have a joke when we're sort of maybe out with others, maybe at someone's house for dinner, and one of us says something embarrassing. Um, and the joke goes something like this. It's about what's going to happen on the way back in the car. So if what we said is, you know, it's embarrassing, but it's relatively small, it's T-I-C. Does anybody know what that means? No? Talk in car. If it's a bit more serious, what we said, it's S-I-C. Silence in car. And if it's really bad, it is N-I-C, which is night in car. <laughs> now, now, that is a joke. You know, it is a joke. It's years since I've had to spend a night in the car. Um, sadly, being wronged, facing consequences, arguments, cold shoulders, rifts, and revenge are actually a common part of everyday life. Uh, and as we think about this this morning, maybe for you, actually, this is, this is really no joke at all. In 21st Dublin, today, if we are wronged or we're in a dispute, we're told that it's totally right. It's a normal response to, to maybe do these things, to let everybody know and to make them pay. You know, let everybody know, all our friends, maybe on social media, that we are right. How right we are and how awful they are. Or make them pay. We've got rights. They've been violated. Someone needs to pay. Well, if this was first century Corinth, a totally normal response would be to take them to court. So you would take them to court because it's the way to tell everyone, to let everyone know, to protect your reputation and say, you are right and they are wrong. And it's the way to get, to get compensation, to make them pay. It would be totally normal if you were an average Corinthian, and yet totally unacceptable if you're a Christian wronged by another Christian, because Paul is horrified. Have a look at verse 1. In fact, if you've closed your Bibles, would you please open them up to so page 1147, because I want you to see that what we are looking at here really is coming from God's Word. Verse 1, Paul is horrified. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment? instead of before the saints? In the original, literally, the first word of this sentence is, it, it means, how dare you? How dare you? I don't know if you can remember back to when we were in Corinthians before. Do you remember this? Uh, the Corinthians were living in this great city in the, in the first century, uh, in the Roman Empire, and this city was at a sort of strategic crossroads, trading crossroads. And it was full of a whole load of different kinds of people. But it was a city where you really could get on, and they were obsessed with looking good. Maybe much like today. They loved to be seen to be wealthy, to have status, to, to, to show that they were great, to get one over on others. And then Paul arrived in and began speaking the good news of Jesus. He stayed for 18 months, and many believed, and a real church was started. 
And these people stood out and were different and lived for Jesus, and it wasn't just show. And when Paul writes this letter, it's probably about three years after he left. Well, things have not gone well. They are not good. And actually, if you remember back, we saw in chapters uh, 1 to 5 that already there's been infighting, division, immorality. And this church that once looked different are looking more and more like normal current again. And yet... These Christians think they are really spiritual and really mature. Some of the words they love to describe themselves with is, uh, we are knowledgeable and wise and free. And here Paul, again, chapter 6, shows yet another example of where they are immature. Where they've not let the gospel of Jesus impact every area of life. And what's the area on the table today? Well, it's what happens when two Christians fall out with one another, when one is wronged, when there's a dispute. And do you know what? For you and me, this is actually really helpful for us because this is a normal church experience. Maybe you know that only too well. Can I ask you, When was the last time you were hurt or wronged by someone or let down by someone here in Grosvenor or by another Christian? Maybe it was in home group or youth group or it was one of us, one of the staff. Can you think of that situation? What it felt like? What did you do? Well, as we come to chapter 6, Paul's going to show us what not to do. Don't behave like the world, like 21st century Dublin or 1st century Corinth. In Corinth, he says, don't take them to court. So actually, that sort of phrase... um, before the ungodly for judgment could, is, is a sort of idiom that is used for uh, taking people to court. So that's what's going on here. We see it further on in the passage. Let me first of all say a couple of things this does not mean. It doesn't mean that Christians should cover up criminal activity or abuse and not tell others or not tell the state authorities. There is absolutely no excuse for that kind of cover-up. And actually, if you know of a situation or you're in one, you're experiencing one, please let someone know. Tell someone someone you trust. Again, what this doesn't mean is that the nation's law courts are just useless. So in various places in the Bible, like Romans 13, we're told that these authorities are put in place by God and they're supposed to provide justice and peace. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, it's about lesser matters, and matters between one Christian and another. It's likely that there is one case here going on that he is referring to. A a dispute, verse 1, a dispute with another, and between probably two individual believers. So verse 6, he says, but instead one brother goes to law against another. And it isn't actually 
the issue itself isn't actually that serious. Look at the end of verse 2. And if you, are comp- if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? It seems it's trivial. They, they talk about cheating in verses 7 and 8. Maybe it's about money. We're not really sure. So what this is really about is a, a dispute that is real. Yeah, it's painful, but it's not really serious sin. And actually, if you want to know how a church is to deal with really serious sin, listen back to the passage from uh, back in October when we were looking at chapter 5. What's Paul saying? Well, he's saying to these Christians, you think you're so spiritual. You think you know everything. Well, you don't. Actually, there's a phrase that is repeated three times, twice in this passage, and then the first verse of the next one, it's this, do you not know? In other words, you don't know. You should know. Verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? You know, the word saints, it doesn't mean a special kind of holy people. It's a word for ordinary Christians who have been set apart by God. And Paul's saying here, don't you know, saints, Christians, don't you know that one day you will be sitting with Jesus Christ, reigning, as Christ sits on his throne and surveys the world, and as you, with him, judge that world. And yet, you think it's better for you to take your courts, your, your issue to court, to take it before someone who does not know God, who doesn't love God, that they are better able to judge your disputes. And therefore, verse 4, therefore if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. Now, verse 4 here, there's two possible translations. Um, The one we have here, it's sort of saying, it's better to appoint insignificant Christians who know God to judge the issue than to appoint maybe great men of the world who don't know and love God. Or the footnote down here, you get the other translation. Or in these matters, do you appoint as judges men of little account in the church? In other words, if you take someone who isn't a believer to judge this, they are of little account. In fact, no account in the people of God. Why do you appoint them? Either way, what Paul is saying is this. You should know this and be able to do this. Do you know that there's 2,000 judges in Ireland? I looked this up this week and I've got to say I was a little surprised. That's how many judges it takes to keep the Irish in order. Um, But I want you to imagine, okay, that one of these judges, a a Supreme Court judge, let's, let's call her Judy, okay? Imagine... Judy's had a busy day, and she's come home, and it's been a long one, and she's put her feet up. And while she's sat there reading stuff on her iPad, her two boys have started to have a go at each other. One of them wants to watch Blue, and the other one wants to play Minecraft on the same TV. And it starts off with a bit of bickering, and then shouting, and then hitting, and then kicking. And now they've actually taken the remote control, and they've thrown it at the TV. 
And Judy, well, she's had a heavy day. She's been judging cases of national importance. Why should she get up and deal with this trivial case? Paul's saying, this is what you are like. You're like this. If God is going to include you as judges in his perfect, eternal, end-time judgment, surely, with God's help, you're able to judge the ordinary, everyday issues of life. And you must. And Paul is so cutting. So, verse 5, he says, you know, you think you are wise. He says this, I say this to, to shame you. Is it possible there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another. And this in front of unbelievers. But you might be sitting there this morning thinking, but, you know, what is the big deal? It's just two individuals. Aren't we told, you know, don't get involved in other people's affairs? Well, it is a big deal, not just for individuals, but for the whole church. And we're going to see four reasons why. Here's the first. It divides the family. Um, I don't know if you can, some of, some of us, it's much further back. Can you remember back to being a child and maybe fighting with your siblings? Um, maybe even a teenager. No, no, teenagers, you wouldn't fight with your siblings, would you? But um, I remember me and my sister, so I was a pretty horrible brother to her at times. And uh, there was one point where I was being particularly mean, and she managed to kick me in the eye. To this day, I'm not really sure how she achieved it. But the effect was that any time after that that I did something that was probing or annoying her, she would just turn to me and go, I'm going to kick you in the eye. And that, that was the threat. Um, it's funny, isn't it, when children fight sometimes? It's not funny at all when you see it in adult siblings. I know of one family where there's two brothers. They're in their 50s. They will not speak to each other. You know, they have the same parents, the, the same upbringing. They probably shared the same bathwater, and now what they only share is hatred and anger. And Paul's so sad and shocked because church is God's family. And so he says, verse 6, but instead one brother goes to law against another. Or verse 8, Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. When two Christians fall out, it's actually two siblings who should belong to one another, love one another, and it affects the whole family. You know, that Christian that we are angry at, that we've been hurt by, or maybe we've hurt and we've not yet said sorry. That unresolved dispute divides the family. This is a big deal, secondly, because it damages the name of Jesus. Isn't it just so clear when uh, news sites get hold of a story of Christians fighting? They just love it, don't they? They just love to report that kind of stuff. And I can imagine that in Corinth, the news people just loved seeing this. Actually, back then, going to watch stuff in the law courts was a sort of um, 
like spectator sport. And they must have loved to watch this. When the world sees Christians fight, well, they say, here, here's proof that Jesus is not good news, that it's not life and life to the full, that Christians are no different from anyone else. And when the watching world sees us moan and fight and bear grudges and not speak to each other, how the Spirit of Jesus must grieve and how the name of Jesus is damaged. Thirdly, it's a big deal because Paul says it defeats the church. I don't know if you've noticed, but as he speaks to them through this passage, he's not just talking to two individuals. He's talking to the whole church. Actually, the you here is plural. So verse 7, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. One brother goes to court against another to win. The fact that they even go and the church just allows it means they're defeated already. Maybe this person was genuinely wronged, but the bitterness has got hold and driven them to pursue and to prevail over another Christian. And now this person too is in the wrong. Paul says, verse 8, Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers. And the consequence, well, the church that is supposed to be distinct, that is supposed to be God's alternate, wonderful community that displays His glory, His love, His holiness is defeated already. But fourthly, maybe even more serious, there is danger of judgment. Let me take you into the verse, first verse of our next passage. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? You see, for those living like the world who are just living for themselves, they really have no regard for Jesus and his people. It shows that they're not really Christians. And the danger is that means they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Seeking gain like that in this life will mean they will have nothing in the next. But I wonder maybe for some of us sitting there this morning, we are just thinking, well, phew, I've not really thought about taking another Christian to court. This isn't really about me. At the heart of this issue, it's, it's not about courts. It's actually a denial of the gospel. So actually, here's really the big reason why this is so serious. In fact, if you, if you forget any, anything else we thought about this morning, this is the moment to tune in and concentrate. I want you to have a think. Have a think about that person who made you angry or who you were hurt by. Do you find that you won't back down, you must win the argument? That you won't forgive or let it go? You want to be proved in the right to get that recognition. Why is that? Why do we get so hurt and so angry? Isn't it because we think we deserve better? We're in the right and we should be treated properly. Isn't it because we think they deserve to pay 
and feel the consequences of what they have done. Well, look at what Paul says, halfway through verse 7. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why would you ever let yourself be wronged? Why forgive someone who's cheated us? Well, isn't it because this is what has happened to us? You see, when we look at the next passage, which we'll do next time we come to Corinthians, we'll see none of us are right. All of us have failed. All of us have been wrong at times. All of us have hurt others. All of us have stood on our rights and ignored God's. And yet what we will see is that because of Jesus, we are a forgiven people. Verse 11 says that we are washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. How? Well, because the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, came and He didn't stand on His rights. He didn't say to you and me, I demand you to honor and obey me perfectly. He didn't say, I want to show that I'm in the right and we are in the wrong. He didn't make us pay. No, instead, he came to be wronged. Remember, he was put on trial and accused of dishonoring God, the one who he had always honored perfectly. Remember, he was accused of evil, yet he'd come to do good. And how cheated he was. He was charged with leading mankind astray when really what he was doing was paying to bring sinners home. Yeah, it's true at times that we are treated appallingly and sometimes by our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. And boy, it hurts. And it is wrong. And we may need to seek advice from others to know how to address it. But any time we live as if we've never been wrong, as if someone else never deserves forgiveness. Well, it's a denial of the gospel. What does that mean for you and me? Well, this morning, if you've not come to Jesus, then come. Make that deliberate, conscious decision. Ask Him to pay for your sin. Come. But if you have, If you have, then let this gospel move us to be like Jesus. Let this gospel affect every area of our life. So that we don't have to be people who need to let everybody know or make them pay. So that we don't stand on our rights or hold that grudge or avoid the people who we've been wronged by. No, even at times we'll willingly be wronged, cheated. We will care more about love and forgiveness than about our own comfort and reputation. There were two men. I knew them both. Um, I'm not going to tell you who they uh, were or or where they're from, but let's call them Sam and Timmy. Sam had arrived in early to church, and he had come really wanting to serve God, and he gave his all. 
He really tried to do his best. Timmy had watched on and was just really frustrated, felt that Sam had done a really bad job. And he told him so. Well, Timmy was deeply hurt, really hurt, and he was thinking about giving up coming to church and certainly serving. He was intending to avoid Sam at all costs. Sam realized what he had done. He realized that he had done wrong. He felt awful. And there was a moment for those two men where it would have been really easy for the two of them to just let this fester, to really do nothing about it. But both of them knew the love of Jesus. Sam knew he needed to go and ask for forgiveness. And Timmy, he knew he needed to give it. He found it really hard at first, but he knew he had to. And as far as I know, years on, they are happily serving together. Next time you feel hurt or angry at another Christian, what do you do? Well, let's not deny the gospel. Let's not forget how Jesus has treated us, but think of our Savior. He is determined to bring reconciliation for us. His willingness to pay so that he could offer love and forgiveness. Remember Jesus and ask him to help us to seek to do the same. We're going to pause Please respond in the Lord's, respond to the Lord in prayer in the quiet of your own hearts and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer together. God of all grace, you know the realities of our lives. You know where we've been hurt. We do thank you for the Lord Jesus who knows what it is like to be wronged. And we pray that as we see what he has done for us, that it might help us to be people who don't want to stand on our rights or prevail over other brothers and sisters, but our willingness with the Lord Jesus' help to seek to love and forgive and resolve. Please would you help us, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the musicians up. Can I just say, I suppose I was a little frustrated there wasn't a bit more time to, to think about some of the practical ways you can deal with um, a falling out with another Christian. 
Um, there is help in that sermon back from 1 Corinthians 5. Do have a listen back to that on the website. Um, uh, I'm going to attach a sheet of uh, sort of helpful godly biblical advice on how to deal with 